0: uh,
1: ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program
0: providing independent media coverage
1: of environmental and ecological studies
0: with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events
1: in order to foster open discussion
0: of human relationships with nature and the earth
1: and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world.
0: ECO Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers
1: working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana,
2: and financially supported by listeners like you. Oh, by the way, we're gone. See ya. Hello, and welcome to ECO Report
1: for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about a multi-state lawsuit challenging EPA regulations regarding air pollution crossing state lines. That's coming up later in the program. And now, your environmental headlines.
2: WFHB contacted the Department of Natural Resources about whether it is safe to put up bird feeders. They responded by saying, please do not put up any kind of bird feeders just yet. This problem is continuing to happen and continuing to spread to more counties. They will let the public know when it is okay to go back to feeding our birds.
1: Indiana Public Radio reports that COVID-19 put pressure on Indiana's already struggling coal mining industry. Coal production dropped by nearly 37 percent last year, more than in any of the other top coal mining states. Experts said it's unlikely coal production in the U.S. will recover to what it was before the pandemic. The U.S. Energy Information Administration Administration shows overall coal production in the U.S. last year was the lowest it's been since 1965. Some coal mines also stopped operating for long periods of time to reduce the spread of COVID-19 among their workers. Several coal companies filed for bankruptcy last year, including White Stallion Energy, which owned four southwest Indiana mines. Quote, After the drop we saw in 2020, while production is going to come back up, don't think it's going to come back up to the levels we've seen even in the last few years. End quote said Rosalind Berry, who manages the Coal Statistics Program at the U.S. Energy Information Administration. So So far, weekly rail car loads this year are up about 9% as compared to the same time last year. Berry said that how the coal industry will fare long term really depends on the price of natural gas. Indiana not only produces a lot of coal, it also used more coal for electricity in 2019, than all but two states, Texas and North Dakota. The Indiana legislature did all it could to help coal during the past session. They helped coal by placing draconian restrictions on wind and solar.
2: The Crusader reports on a new survey from the Indiana University Environmental Resilience Institute. It reveals that Hoosiers are more concerned about a future disease outbreak than they were before 2020. The Hoosier Life Survey 2.0 is part of a comprehensive effort by IU researchers to gauge Indiana residents' environmental attitudes as a follow-up to the first Hoosier Life Survey conducted in 2019. According to the Hoosier Life Survey 2.0, Results Nearly one in two Indiana residents anticipate that their family is likely to be affected by a new disease outbreak in the next decade, compared to the one out of five who felt the same way when they were surveyed in 2019. Quote What we found is that Hoosiers generally express much more pessimism about the future than they did in the initial survey issued just before the COVID-19 pandemic," said Matt Hauser, co-leader of the study and an IU sociologist and Environmental Resilience Institute research fellow. Other key findings include nearly two out of three Hoosiers reported their lives in 2020 as being worse than they were in 2019, with 28% rating the year as much worse. 70% of those who regarded their their lives as worse indicated that the pandemic was the biggest factor. Over half of the respondents said they knew someone who had contracted COVID-19, and nearly 40% said they, or someone in their household, had lost a job or had their work hours cut due to the pandemic.
1: Hauser said that given the more immediate crisis of 2020, it would make sense if Hoosiers' climate change concerns dipped. However, the survey showed an about 5% increase in both the number of respondents who believe that climate change is happening and in those who believe that humans are the primary cause of it. Overall, 84% of respondents agreed that climate change is happening, and 83% attributed the cause of climate change at least partly to human activities. Further analysis showed that a significant portion of these gains can be attributed to Hoosier Republicans' change in beliefs, Hauser said. From 2019 to 2020, Hoosier Republicans exhibited an 11% increase in climate change belief and a 2% increase in the number who believed that humans play a primary role in causing climate change. Quote, Historically, Republicans have been deeply skeptical of climate change and deeply entrenched in that skepticism, end quote, Hauser said. That Hoosier Republicans seem to be shifting views on the reality of climate change is certainly significant. Public input regarding
2: funding for Lake Michigan's watershed program is being sought during a public meeting on July 21st. The Department of Natural Resources Lake Michigan Coastal Program will host the meeting, which will focus on funding priorities for its 2022 grants cycle. Those in in attendance are encouraged to provide input regarding which types of projects should receive priority consideration. The input process also features an online online survey which allows members of the public to submit suggestions regarding funding priorities. Survey input will be accepted until August 13th. The public meeting is at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at the Northwestern Indiana Regional Planning Commission, which is located at 6100 Southport Road in Portage. To participate in the survey, go to the DNR webpage and find the Lake Michigan Coastal Program.
1: The Energy News Network reports that when Susan Thomas moved to the northwestern Indiana lakefront town of Beverly Shores, she thought she had found a bucolic, beautiful, and healthy place to retire. She soon felt otherwise. Thomas lives between Michigan City, where 2 million tons of toxic coal ash are stored along Lake Michigan, on the grounds of a NIPSCO power plant, and the town of Pines, which was declared a Superfund site because of groundwater contamination from coal ash. Quote, I'm in the middle of a sandwich of this toxic coal ash, end quote, Thomas said. Thomas now serves as legislative coordinator for the group Just Transition Northwest Indiana. With other residents and advocacy groups, she is fighting to force the complete removal of coal ash from the Michigan City coal plant. Under the 2015 federal law regulating coal ash, NIPSCO is proposing to remove coal ash stored in five ponds at the site, but leave in place coal ash used decades prior to create land jutting out into Lake Michigan. The federal law doesn't address such, quote, legacy coal ash fills. If the ash is not removed, many fear it poses a risk of environmental and economic harm lasting far beyond the plant's slated closure in 2028. It is an environmental justice issue since Michigan City is home to disproportionately more people of color and low-income people than the state as a whole. Almost 30% of Michigan City residents are black, and a quarter of residents live in poverty, according to census figures. Groundwater near the Michigan City plant is contaminated with arsenic at levels 50 times higher than legal standards, as well as selenium and boron, according to monitoring by the state. Environmental advocates note there is no way to tell whether the contamination was caused by the coal ash slated for removal or the legacy ash. Indra Frank, Environmental Health and Water Policy Director for the Hoosier Environmental Council, said the Michigan City legacy coal ash is in continuous contact with groundwater, meaning it is likely causing contamination. Frank said that there are no private drinking water wells near the Michigan City plant but toxic metals in the coal ash could be contaminating the lake sediment and bioaccumulating in lake organisms, presenting a risk to people eating fish caught near the plant, a popular fishing spot. According
2: to a study published recently in Earth's Future, the American Geophysical Union's interdisciplinary journal, poor communities are hotter than wealthy ones. The researchers found that in 76% of cases, poorer neighborhoods were noticeably hotter with a difference of up to 7 degrees Fahrenheit between rich and poor communities in a single county. In areas with similar income levels, communities of color were hotter than white ones in 71% of counties surveyed. Immigrants were also more vulnerable to the heat. In 64% of counties, communities with higher concentrations of people who weren't U.S. citizens had higher temperatures. The main reason for the disparities, according to the researchers, is that poor neighborhoods, especially those of color, usually have more asphalt, buildings, and highways, all of which absorb solar energy and radiate the heat. Richer neighborhoods usually have more green space, including parks and trees which help control the heat. Trees provide shade. Furthermore, vegetation releases water, which cools
1: the air as it turns into vapor. President Biden has suspended gas and oil leases in Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, but that doesn't mean the Arctic is safe. The Department of Justice recently defended a massive Trump-era oil project called Willow on Alaska's North Slope. The Arctic is heating up at three times the rate of the rest of the planet. In the past, oil companies in the Arctic relied on the permanently frozen soil, or permafrost, to provide solid ground for their machinery. However, now that the climate crisis is melting the permafrost, drillers have to install so-called chillers to keep the ground frozen artificially so they can continue to extract fossil fuels that are melting it in the first place. The International Energy Agency recently reported that to avoid catastrophic climate change, all new drilling projects should be prohibited everywhere on the planet. But the more than 1 billion barrels of oil that this new Arctic site is expected to produce over the next 30 years will pose a huge barrier to averting climate catastrophe. If it goes forward, Willow could open the door for even more drilling in the future by expanding the infrastructure for drilling on the North Slope. The Department of the Interior needs to recognize that the Arctic needs no drilling, not more. The eastern hellbender is
2: North America's largest
1: salamander.
2: Its survival is at stake and it needs the protection of the Endangered Species Act. The Center for Biological Diversity recently filed a lawsuit over the Trump administration's refusal to protect the giant amphibian. Hellbender salamanders live in rivers, including the Blue River in Indiana, breathe through their skin, and can grow as long as two feet. They have colorful nicknames like old lasagna sides and snot otter because of the loose, frilly skin along their bodies and their mucus-like coating, which might have antibiotic properties. Almost 80% of hellbender populations, which range across the 15 southeastern, midwestern, and northeastern states, have disappeared or are declining thanks to dams, pollution, deforestation, mining, and oil and gas development. The Center filed an Endangered Species Act petition for hellbenders in 2010 and has won victories for for subspecies and populations, but not yet for the species as a whole. As center lawyer Brian Seege commented, quote, We won't give up until hellbenders have the protection they desperately need to survive. End quote.
1: President Joe Biden announced a deal with a bipartisan group of senators for an infrastructure framework that will spend $73 billion focused on power infrastructure. According to a fact sheet released by the White House, the bipartisan framework will add $579 billion in new spending on a wide variety of infrastructure priorities, including construction of thousands of miles of new transmission lines to accommodate the addition of renewable energy. The proposal would also create a new grid authority to oversee the power infrastructure upgrades. A new report from the
2: Center for Biological Diversity reveals that offshore fracking and other forms of extreme oil and gas extraction have become pervasive and damaging in the Gulf of Mexico. Over a decade, there have been 3,000 instances of offshore fracking, 700 cases of acidizing offshore wells, and at least 66 million gallons of fracking, fracking waste dumped into the Gulf. The chemicals used in offshore fracking and acidizing threaten the health of humans and wildlife. Those health risks include cancer, reproductive damage, neurotoxicity, and death. The EPA permits companies to dump unlimited amounts of fracking wastewater into the Gulf of Mexico. An industry report to the EPA noted that each fracking operation releases almost 22,000 gallons of fracking waste, including biocides, polymers, and solvents, into the Gulf. Those chemicals kill marine species in laboratories tests that simulate concentrations of the substances found near offshore platforms. About 76% of the chemicals used in fracking haven't been studied for their impacts on human and wildlife health. The increasing use of fracking in the Gulf could threaten the tourism and fishing industries, which account for nearly 3 million jobs on the Gulf Coast, or about 10
1: times the number of jobs in the area's offshore fossil fuel industry. The U.S. federal government may soon, by 2022 at the latest, declare a first-ever water shortage in the Colorado River Basin. Declaring a water shortage would mean having mandatory water cuts in the lower basin states as two reservoirs, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, have hit record lows after a 21-year decline in the water levels. The Colorado River, which flows through these states, is more than 1,400 miles long and serves about 40 million people across the West. Farmers and indigenous tribal nations have been hit the hardest by the lower water levels after years of struggling to secure their share of the river's water. But residents out west don't just get drinking water from the Colorado River. It also powers hydroelectric dams. That includes the Hoover Dam, which produces roughly 4 billion kilowatt hours of hydroelectric power, which is enough to serve 1.3 million people.
2: The Mexican government has decided to stop protecting the habitat of the critically endangered vaquita in the upper Gulf of California and has decided to open it up for fishing. The vaquita, a porpoise endemic to the Sea of Cortez in Mexico's upper Gulf of California, has experienced very sharp population decline in the last 20 years. According to some estimates, there are only about nine vaquitas left in the world. The opening up of their habitat is a 180 from the no-tolerance zone that was established in 2017 to protect the sea creatures from illegal fishing. But enforcement has been lax. There has only been a sliding scale of sanctions for the more than 60 boats that have been found in the area. Researchers and conservationists worry that the move to open up to fishing will mean the end of the species. They want nothing less than a zero tolerance policy.
1: And now for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about air pollution
0: crossing state lines. Good neighbors are worth their weight in gold. That's something you don't really understand until you get a bad one. Hoosiers may be nice, but Midwestern states like Indiana have a reputation for being bad neighbors when it comes to air pollution. Indiana is frequently ranked in the bottom 10 states for air quality, and that air pollution doesn't just stay within state borders. It flows downwind and affects the air quality of other states. To reduce the effect high pollution states like Indiana have on neighboring states, the Clean Air Act contains a good neighbor provision that makes states have to tighten emissions restrictions to avoid causing their neighbors to not meet federal air quality standards. A group representing dozens of polluting industries in the Midwest has filed a lawsuit asking a federal court to review a rule update limiting how much ozone pollution states can contribute to downwind states. The Midwest Ozone Group, which includes some of the heaviest polluters in the state of Indiana, is asking the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit to review the revised cross-state air pollution rule update for the 2008 Ozone National Ambient Air Quality Standards a court-mandated Trump-era rule that tightened the restrictions on emissions of nitrogen oxides, the group of gases that cause acid rain and toxic ozone for Indiana and 11 other states. The EPA estimated the revised rule would prevent hundreds of thousands of people from developing asthma symptoms, prevent hundreds of emergency room visits from becoming necessary, and avoid tens of thousands of missed school days. But the companies in the group say the controls needed to improve air quality could cost them thousands of dollars per ton of nitrogen oxides reduced and could lead to an unstable electricity supply. In 2019, the D.C. Circuit ruled that a previous version of the rule allowed the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to let states dodge emissions requirements, leading to pollution from those states crossing into neighboring states and causing them to fail to meet national air quality standards. The court ordered the EPA to revise the rule. The Trump EPA submitted a proposed revision October 2020, which was finalized by the Biden administration in March of this year. The revised rule, among other restrictions, requires power plants in Indiana and those 11 other states to reduce emissions of nitrogen oxides, gases that cause acid rain and create toxic ozone when they mix with volatile organic compounds in the atmosphere. The plants will also be required to install or upgrade nitrogen oxide combustion controls in time for the 2022 ozone season. Which runs from March 1st through October 31st. The members of the Midwest Ozone Group, which include Indiana Michigan Power, Duke Energy, Citizens Energy Group, and the members of the Indiana Energy Association, stand to lose tens of millions of dollars implementing the new control requirements. In comments submitted to the EPA, the group said it opposed the rule because of various factors like gaps in information and the real effect of emissions on downwind states, and a lack of cost effective emissions controls, and a shortened comment period. The group particularly questions the validity of the data produced by air monitors in Connecticut that played an important role in the court case that forced the EPA to revisit the rule. Duke Energy, Ohio Valley Electric Corporation, Indiana Michigan Power, and other facilities owned by MOG members are responsible for the emissions of tens of thousands of tons of nitrogen oxides. Individual MOG members argued that the mobile sources of pollution-like vehicles were mostly responsible for the emission of ozone precursors, and imposing strict emissions restrictions on electric generating units would threaten electric reliability. Duke Energy, which owns multiple fossil fuel and renewable energy plants in Indiana, said the installation of significant upgrades to certain emissions reduction systems would not be possible in the time between the rule finalization and the start of the ozone season. Ohio Valley Electric Corporation, which owns Clifty Creek Generating Station in Jefferson County through its subsidiary, the Indiana Kentucky Electric Corporation, argued that the EPA mistakenly presumed that further optimization of some emissions reduction system was possible. The company argued that air pollution would have less effect on downwind states if future air quality standards become more stringent. Indiana Michigan Power's parent company, American Electric Power, said the rule introduced a dramatic change in the way retired coal-fired units are treated. Instead of allowing retiring plants to pollute until their final day of operation, the contested rule requires the emissions from retiring plants be entirely eliminated. That shrinks the state's yearly ozone budget, or the amount of nitrogen oxide emissions allowed by the EPA. AEP said Indiana would be particularly adversely impacted by the regulation. The company claimed the rule would result in a 4.6 terawatt-hour reduction in energy production in Indiana, or enough energy to power the entire U.S. for about a year and a half between 2023 and 2024. The Midwest Ozone Group previously sued to stop the implementation of the cross-state air pollution rule update remanded in 2019, saying the rule was unconstitutional, exceeded the EPA's authority, and was a quote, abuse of discretion.
1: Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at
2: 812-323-1200. Or email us at
1: earth@wfhb.org. At and now for our events calendar. Experience an evening of peace and serenity on Griffey Lake during the full moon on Friday, July 23rd, from 8:30 to 10 p.m. at the Griffey Lake Nature Preserve. Navigate the lake and watch the night sky light up the water. Watercraft, paddles, and life jackets will be provided. Bring a headlamp in case you need it. Register at bloomington.in.gov backslash parks. There will be an entire day of going wild about
2: wildlife at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, July 24th from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. The day starts off with an Indiana Audubon Society bird hike from 7 to 9 a.m. Learn about birds of prey at 10 a.m., life in the underground at 11 a.m., poisonous snakes at
1: 1 p.m., and much more. There will be a kayak outing at the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area on Saturday, July 24th from 1 to 6 p.m. Join the Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area's naturalist on a 2.8 mile kayak trip around Main Pool West 1. You will need to bring your own kayak, drinking water, sunscreen, and a life jacket. Meet in the parking lot by the Goose Pond NRCS sign on Highway 59. Take an invasive plant
2: hike at Spring Mill State Park on Friday, July 30th from 3 to 4 p.m. Meet Emily at the Lakeview Activity Center to learn about Spring Mill's most unwanted plants and how you can help stop the spread of
1: invasive species. The hike is one hour long and partially rugged. A live raptor show will be taking place at Brown County State Park on Saturday, July 31st from 2 to 3 p.m. Meet at the shelter house outside the Nature Center for a program all about birds of prey. The Indiana Raptor Center will be leading the program and will have a few of their educational raptors with them for you to meet. This is a popular program, so plan to arrive early.
2: And that wraps up our show for this week.
1: This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman assembled the script,
2: and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Myself, Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly, and
1: I'm Cynthia Brubaker, and this is Eco Report.